Welcome back to the Information Security Stack together with me, Daniel Gustafsson and Kim Hindart. Hubba. Today we are going to continue on last week's topic a little bit. We uh, talked last week about what is City Network and overall what we do as a company with our uh, strategy and so on, the reasons why we're doing what we're doing. But today we thought we were going to go a little bit in depth, a little bit more of uh, the actual service, which is a public cloud. We call it City Cloud in our case. There are other public clouds out there in the world as well. Uh, and they are based on the same principles. So if you are a techie person, you might be disappointed today because it's going to be very high level and very um, explained in a way that everyone that might not be a techie person can understand as well because we believe there is tons of people out there who do not really dare to ask what a cloud is and how it actually works. So we thought we were going to talk about that. Um, should we clear up a bit of our mistakes from last week as well? Yeah. Uh, our colleague Johan uh, pointed it out very well, so we're very we're thank thankful for pointing out when we are wrong, and that's just uh, to admit we were wrong last yeah. year. We were outdated, so that says a bit about you and me, Daniel. We're yeah, outdated. So if we want to have the latest tech news, we need to go to the young techie people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> I but I think I stated that we have. Six clouds? Uh, we have seven we have public seven. regions. And uh, uh, then we started our cloud in 2014. We started with OpenStack in 2014. With OpenStack, yes. Yeah. 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 So, so the transition was in 2014 rather than 15, yeah. as I might yeah. have mentioned. So mm -hmm. as we work with feedback in this organization and mm -hmm. uh, me and Kim are... Uh, big proprietors of that. We admit when we're wrong, so we say thank you. And uh, he mentioned that being a certified electrician is not necessary if you work at a certified company that have their internal control and audit program for their employees. But you can only then do installations under the supervision of the internal control program of that company. So you can't still do private installations and stuff. But right is right, and no, that wasn't a possibility. So, uh, but that said, like I said, I kind of like the normal electrical and power security measures and the regulatory demands they have. Mm. It's amazing to me why the same has not been put in place for cybersecurity. Yeah, I concur. Anyone can pretty much say, I'm a cybersecurity specialist mm. without having any type of necessary credentials to claim that. Mm. Anyone can be allowed to work with cybersecurity without having any regulated and approved qualifications to do that. So, yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway. Your ISO 27001 is um, pretty much internal control program, self-control program that you have. So that's good for cybersecurity, but I think this should be a mandatory thing, not just something you 
voluntary take, you should have it as a mandatory thing in order for work with cybersecurity. But yeah, at least that's where we are. That's where we are. Anyway. So, anyways, we cleared we cleared that out. So, uh, thanks for that, Johan. Uh but back to today's actions and today's topics. Um, we thought we would talk very high level and very uh, explain in a as good of a manner as we can what an IaaS infrastructure as a service infrastructure actually is and what it entails and what you can get out of it and the resources used in it. So where do we begin with that? Virtual resources. Should we start on that? Yeah, virtualization. This mm. is technology that's been around for a long time. But okay, for you guys out there, imagine you have a computer and more a gaming computer. That's this big square box, you know, not the laptops we are used to today. But uh, for those of you who are kids that are gamers or uh, people say you might be gamers themselves, but I think our audience is more relatable to kids gaming. Yeah. They still don't use laptops that much. You know, they have this big square box and this was common a few years back for computers, the desktop computer. Mm-hmm. A server is nothing else than a big square box in itself. The only difference between a client computer and a computer you do gaming on and a server is a server is usually set in a cluster in a data center. Consider it a big wardrobe with special environmental <laughs> things <laughs> Pretty like cooling much, yes. and stuff. But yes. uh, yeah, you set them in the closet and they're always connected to the internet, but mm-hmm. you don't go and connect yourself to them. So the server is still physical hardware. And a few years back, they invented something called virtualization. And that means that if I have my physical hardware, In order for that to run, I need to install an operating system on it. It can be Windows or it can be Linux Mm. or something like that. And in order for an application to run, an online application in this sense. I mean, when I connect from my computer to my internet banking, the internet banking in turn needs a lot of servers on their end. So I connect from my computer to a server. That's what servers are for, to make online applications available pretty much. So yeah, so there they are. So I go from computer to connect to server. So in either case, any type of application needs compute power, that's CPU and ROM. Mm -hmm. They need networking and they need storage. This is true for any type of application, local, on your phone, <laughs> mm. or in the cloud in this sense. Yep. The whole idea was that with virtualization, you could actually install hypervisors on a physical server. And then this physical server could be shared. It could pretend to be a lot of other different servers. Mm. The virtual servers called virtual machines. They are just big, big computer files. But when they are run through a hypervisor, then they can act the same way as a physical server would. You can even install applications on them Mm. and run them. But yeah, so you have virtual machines that can be shared on the same hardware. Why is this good then? Well, there are several things that are very uh, good. Uh, We can start with a very hot topic today, which is called the environment. 
if I have a thousand servers in my deployment, if I need to uh, install 1000 physical servers to do that, then they all need uh, electricity, power and so on, cooling, whatever there it is. Uh, if I can consolidate those 1000 physical servers on maybe 40 physical servers and then run a thousand virtual servers on them, I will use a heck of a lot less uh, energy, power, cooling, whatever it goes. So from an environmental perspective, it's very effective to utilize uh, and share hardware between uh, a virtual deployment. Um, also in terms of um, redundancy, it's very good that you can spread your virtual servers across multiple uh, backend servers, so to speak. Uh, so in the backend servers that are uh, hosting servers. So from a... Um, continuity perspective it's a lot better for you to have that type of ability to spread your uh, your virtual service across physical servers in the back end rather than having just physical servers that might crash and die and then you're gonna have to do data cpr on them essentially and try and get them to 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 stay alive so those are two what i believe at least relevant uh reasons to why this is important yeah and you get a lot better resource sharing sharing resources is a lot more efficient because if you imagine back to my example of your old gaming box it doesn't go around the clock 24 7 mm. imagine if you could share it in a smart way easy way between a lot of different gamers that are in different time zones then it could go full full-fledged every second of the day mm. but if there is a human interaction with it i mean as a single human you can only play games for this long you need to sleep you need to eat you need to go away um, i know life. gaming is a bad stereotype <laughs> for this because <laughs> they Get might life. not fully <laughs> adhere to this but in a normal circumstances, you don't sit with, in front of your computer all the time. No. And when you, you're not in front of a computer, imagine the possibility of sharing that computer with others then that need it for that time. That's an efficient way to have it. So mm. it can go for full, full capacity all the time instead of just small bursts when you need it. Mm. So that's the whole idea with the server and why you want to virtualize. So the virtualization technology was that. So what happens is you create virtual objects. These are, like I said, digital representations that when run through a hypervisor or a virtualization layer, in Orient it's called OpenStack and KVM. Mm. But there are different ones, VMware, Hyper-V, Zen, different solutions for this, but they all work with the same principle. You have digital files that represent, represent and act as a physical counterpart, a switch, a router. Imagine your home internet box that's mm. a router. Mm. And then you have servers, of course, that are normal computers, but intended to <coughs> publish. We have load balancers, we have firewalls. All this can be represented virtual and digital in digital files. Mm. What's in these files then? Yeah, it's the configuration of this. Imagine your home router. If that loses all configuration, most of you would start to think, shit, who in the family was it that configured this? Mm -hmm. 
Exactly. If you're not specialist yourself, it's usually a relative somewhere. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> that's IT savvy. Um, yeah. So uh, that's the thing. So it's usually configuration, but even in this different virtual objects that act as a computer, a server, you can install your own applications. So they have virtual hard drives, hard disks. They have virtual storage mm. where you can have anything like databases and a lot of things. So this is actually the virtual storage itself. And from an IAS perspective, this is the cutoff point when we transfer the responsibility, mm. to be very clear. We never go and interact with data in any form in a clear text manner. We never enter inside the virtual objects. Mm. So anything that's done inside the virtual objects is the customer's responsibility. We only act with the virtual objects themselves. Mm. So for instance, if we see that the har- some physical hardware equipment are having problems, we can move the virtual objects from that hardware to another hardware and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's what we do. But we never ever go in and act. We make sure that your virtual hard disks are actually stored on physical hard drives somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we protect and guard the physical hard drives and make sure they have the correct environment, they have the correct resources, they have power supply and are up and running. But what's stored inside the physical hard drives is totally up to the customer in their virtual objects. So security inside the virtual objects is the customer. Mm responsibility security of the virtual objects outside the virtual mm. objects that's our responsibility yeah so this is a bit tricky part to understand because in a normal outsourcing scenario this is not the case no um there there's there's actually quite a big difference uh, if you're used to normal outsourcing then that provider will most probably be in charge of the entire deployment from the servers to the applications to the management to the updates of everything but in any infrastructure as a service uh provider out there whether it be us amazon or whoever uh we draw a line in the sand that to you to kim's point the virtual tenant meaning the user is fully responsible for everything that you deploy and we are responsible for the back end so you don't have to worry about the servers in the back end you don't have to worry about the data transfers you don't have to worry about the internet connections physical hardware and physical uh, outer inner perimeter uh, security that's our responsibility but that could be very confusing at times and there is this belief that well i put my server in a cloud hence you will now manage it for me now that's called a pause or even even could be a sauce service but an infrastructure service no that's not what what's what's in it unless you have a special agreement with that provider and then they could probably do it for you but not by default and that's not part of the infrastructure as a service no so what we do is we provide you with you as a customer with the tools to deploy infrastructure as a service that mm. means you can deploy them on tap you have a pay as you go you can say, I want to have two virtual switches, three virtual networks, and five virtual machines. And then you can request that, and you just pay for the physical resources you consume over time. Mm. So that's the whole idea. But still, 
we don't know what you install and what type of application you run on the server of virtual machines. Mm. That's up to you. So that's part where we <laughs> deviate a bit. Of course, you can sign separate management and consulting other agreements for uh, yeah, for a lot of stuff. But that's more more a normal agreement uh, as with anyone regardless if we we're talking about you having a physical server in your basement or your own wardrobe mm. <laughs> or you having a virtual one <laughs> exactly at us so a lot of other providers a lot of consulting firms for instance use our infrastructure and then resell things as a service to their end customers mm. so this can be done in layered steps but it's nothing it's nothing crazier than we buy a lot of physical hardware from Dell. Mm-hmm. It's not Dell that provides the cloud. Yep. It's it the network that provides the cloud. Mm-hmm. But we do it on Dell hardware. So you have different steps of supply chain. Yep. Simply. But yeah, you need to realize that the infrastructure as a service is far down in the supply chain. So you have, you need to do a lot yourself, but you have, a, on the other hand, a lot of more options and a lot more freedom of doing it, mm. doing this when you have it, because yeah, you can install stuff yourself on the virtual servers. Mm-hmm. Then, how do you know where the virtual objects are being deployed? Well, that brings us into a thing called regions or availability zones. It depends on how the provider defines it, but it could be called a region or availability zone. And a region could be a country. A region could be uh, two different data centers in the same country, but it is completely separated from each other. So it's, for instance, if, so if you log into CityCloud, uh, the CityCloud uh, user portal, you will be you will see availability zones or regions in Sweden, in Germany, in the UK, Dubai, Tokyo, and so on. And those are connected with each other, but they are also completely separated. And the reason for it is because A, they are completely separated cloud just because they should be. Uh, They should not be dependent on each other should something happen. And also you as a customer should be able to use these different regions to uh, distribute your services from a redundancy perspective. So one one fault or one uh, mistake that you sometimes do when you use an IIS platform is that you set up one server with one application in one region and then you hope that that server will never ever go down. And that is our fault because the the uh, uh, commercial says that the cloud will never dis- disappear and essentially doesn't exist. Well, it do exist and it is hardware in the back, when, uh, back end as Kim explained. And sometimes technical things will go down and crash. And if your server, one virtual server, is located in a region which is not available, hence your application will disappear. And that's a problem. So that's the reason why you have regions. So you can distribute it from a uh, redundancy perspective and have your application spread across multiple regions. It's good for you and it's it's very good for us as well because that means that we can now use those regions uh, to your uh, benefit and make sure that you can always be available with your services. And depending on if you want to spread uh, your applications across the world as well, then you have the ability to place the application close to your end user. So they don't have to have a big lagging uh, communication line between the US and Sweden, for instance. Yeah, so 
remember in city cloud specific there when we're talking then you have regions and each region is an independent self-sustained cloud by itself yep uh, they are their own hardware their own networking equipment and everything so they can act totally independent of another region that's the whole idea one region can totally be gone and it shouldn't affect the other running mm. regions so exactly. that's yeah that's the principle behind it and that's why so from a technology perspective each region is their own cloud and have yes. everything in order to uh, need it and that's uh, also important to know so from a data sovereignty perspective and stuff we have different regions in stockholm that are different type of services it's the same technology behind it yeah but you have for instance public cloud and then you have a compliant cloud they are totally different regions with different hardware mm-hmm. and that's because we have different security assurances and we have different security protocols mm-hmm. behind them yep. this is a tricky part to explain in some cases because performance wise they will perform the same mm. and they say hey Kim why should I pay extra for that it doesn't give me any performance improvement mm. No, that's perfectly true. You get a lot of better security assurances. Mm-hmm. But of course, if you don't notice that, you don't reflect upon that. No, if there's no big difference in response time, for instance, if that's the same, mm-hmm. then what's the difference? What am I paying so, for here? Yeah, from a performance perspective, I would expect that uh, they are very similar. So the public mm-hmm. cloud regions and the compliant regions have the same performance measures. You will not get any more performance from that. Very, you very. Get... I mean, if there is a difference, it's very, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, yeah. it's minute. Yeah. You will, on the other hand, get a lot of better security assurances. But imagine that you have a really, really hard, secure door, front door on your house. Mm. If you live in a neighborhood where you don't need it, of course, you don't see really why should I pay a lot extra for this super heavy, super armored front door mm. when my normal wood door works just as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the tricky part to explain a bit. But that's why we have the compliant regions because they are not wood doors. They are real <laughs> steel reinforced doors. But if you don't need it, now of course you shouldn't do it. That's why we're talking multi-cloud here mm-hmm. as well. Exactly. So um, if I drive through Kabul in Iraq, I want an armored truck. Mm. If I drive to work in Stockholm, I wouldn't pay extra for the armored truck. Just say. So there's a difference. So, so yeah, I mean, yes, I mean, the, yeah, the reality of of things is that it costs extra to uphold the extra security precautions surrounding mm. a region. Yeah, and that's also why we charge extra mm-hmm. for specific regions. And people ask me, but hey, Kim, both your compliant regions are in Stockholm. But you have a public region in Stockholm as well. Why is there a price difference? Yeah, that's <laughs> still the difference. In Stockholm, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the difference. Mm. Mm-hmm. One is an armored truck; the other is a normal Volvo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, mm. 
pretty good security until the bomb goes off. Yeah, that's yeah. the difference. Exactly. Mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's that's that. Um, so what we wanted to start here just to explain the 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 differences and what what an infrastructure as a service really is, because I properly believe and I firmly believe and I have. I met enough people to uh, who have explained what they believe an IAS cloud is to understand that there is uh, there is a, there's a there's a need to to explain what it actually is you're purchasing and how it actually works. And if anyone tells you that the uh, IAS cloud or any type of cloud is is nothing, there's nothing behind it. There's only it's only air. That's a lie. It's physical servers, no matter which type of cloud service you purchase. The only thing is that everything that you purchase is a virtual resource. But behind it, there's a physical appliance. And that's very important to understand. So, yeah, I mean, and once again, you're buying something that you can't physically touch. You can only see it through a graphical interface, but you can't physically handle it, which, of course, is a bit weird. But that is that is the world we're living in right now. Yeah. So that's where we are. So anyways, um, if you have anything that we would, you want us to continue to explain, or if you have questions regarding the topics we discussed today, feel free to contact us at citynetwork.eu slash podcast. And uh, if you would like to send any questions regarding anything else, you can do that uh, through that site as well. Next week, I believe, because we do have actually received a couple of uh, uh, questions from our listeners, yeah. which we appreciate a lot. So I think we're going to cover those next week, on, uh, yes, among other exactly. things. And also, we're going to finish off the Braving Inventory next week as well. So mm. we can get that done as well. So until then, I wish you all a great weekend if you're listening to this before the weekend. If not, have a great week. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>